are listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got our good friend, Brett Johns. Brett. Hey, good to be here. How you doing? Next to him, great. We've got <laughs> Scott Gershon. Scott. Good morning. Oh, night. I don't know, whatever. It's evening. Right. Uh, across the table, we've got our other good friend, Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. How's it all going? Good. And uh, wow, that's a lot of energy. What can I say? Yeah, I feel like I should salute. you little the Boy Scouts of America. On. I just ran over here from a den meeting, and that, I'm all still decked out in my regalia. That's just, that's just awesome. Not only does he do audio, but he is... A devoted parent. That's right. <laughs> and finally, over here, we've got Brandon Bertine. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Brandon? Good to be back. This is like what? Almost, well, not Almost two, like two times in a year. Yeah, two times in a year. <laughs> I was going to say not even a row. And finally, joining us from somewhere in this country, <laughs> we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Now cast. I think we should just call him a Kaju now. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Arbiter. Rob. Hello, everyone. And as long as the Skype gods are with us, I will be with you uh, for the entire show this evening. <laughs> That's great. Good to be back. What show number is this, Mike? Uh, this is show number 137. 130, 137 shows. I remember right. when we did this show, Rick. The wire recorder. That's right. <laughs> On a knockoff. Was that? Did Skype even exist when we started this no. show? No. <laughs> we, the iTouch just true. came <laughs> out. Existed. It's crazy it, time. It was back in the days of. Strings and two cans. <laughs> the internet was on typewriters. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this is show 137, and we've got our sound designers here. This is our second sound designer roundtable. We had so much fun the last time, we're going to do it again. Hey, but before we, uh, before we talk about sound design and get into that, um, a couple things I want to start off with right at the top. Number one, you know, um, I tend to criticize avid i i've done my fair share of critis of okay. uh, of criticizing them <laughs> and uh i only feel it's you know right if i have to give <laughs> if i give them kudos and uh, i just saw the teaser for the new s6 which is the uh combination of the euphonics and the avid engineering team i would imagine and guys that looks phenomenal I mean, anybody has in, I'm, I'm sure everybody here has seen that teaser. What are your first impressions of their of their new board? Scott, we'll start with you. You know, it's great. I mean, it, it's you know, it'd be nice that if for the sound design group that if we can then start taking the price points of Icon, right, bringing them back to the sound designers. You know, where instead of it being hundred plus thousand dollars, yeah, you know, to five hundred thousand dollar console, that we're going to be able to really take what's great about Icon, take what's good about the artist series, and take What's great about the, the Series Five and yeah. and combine them into a tool. Um, Just the few things that I noticed about the uh, the teaser is number one, I love the fact that they have waveforms coming down right next to your meters. I think that's just genius, and you can see the little regions as they come across. Because really, when you're mixing, um, that's the most important thing. And if you can see that coming across your meters, that's going to be. I mean, why even look? At a screen, you can you get all your information there. Yeah, I mean, and it's also I think that to be competitive, 
you know, um, Harrison was the first guys to go with vertical waveforms. Right. Then the Neve uh, 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 DFC, the new one, started doing it. And I think now it's just it's playing catch up a little bit. But what's great about the catch up, it's a, it's a game of leapfrog because they'll probably be potentially the best integrated within the Pro Tools system as well. Yeah. With the hybrid system. That's right. They weren't the first to do that, right? No, they, they weren't the first. Actually, SSL was the first. To have the to have the waveforms coming down right next to the uh, yeah, vertical waveforms, but but that. nevertheless though it's it's uh, but there's never been a console that has been a great integration between mixing in the box right. as well mixing outside the box, and I think that now that chance before the icon was kind of cool and the series five was sort of working sort of not right and now all of a sudden it has the potential of of taking both. Those technologies between the Icon and the Series Five, combining them into being a, a quite powerful tool, both within all the industries, post music, and the different forms of post. Well, if you read the on the Avid blog, the thing that the thing that I like about it is the fact that they talk about how a hundred percent all touch isn't realistic, which. Something I've been saying since day one, right? <laughs> that you know, 100% touch has got to have a combination of both, and that's what they've done. They have some touch um, features built in, but they also have traditional faders and some knobs. And I think, I think that's the that's the price point. Which you know, that was the thing is is with the Raven, the 100% touch, it's just not conducive to mixing fast. And, and, and for, it's, guess, not, it's not conducive to expressivity. I mean, our fingers are not virtual. They are things that like to touch things and move things up and down. Exactly. Yes. And even the way they're weighted. I mean, uh, I'm a guitar player by trade, but, you know, when I work with faders, if they're not weighted a certain way, I, I it, it's very difficult for me to work on it. So there has to be a certain amount of resistance, a certain amount of, of exponential um, movement to it. And uh, if it doesn't feel right, it it just, it just feels off. Yeah, and the fact that you have to pay too much attention to your hands and all that—I mean, all that. Listen, touch is going to come, but it's it's going to make sense. Yeah. It's going to make sense the way it's going to do it. And when you actually do have a hundred percent touch screen control surface, it's because you're um, manipulating parameters in a totally different, unique way, where the nonlinear, um, you know, x or y axis. Is is kind of blurred when you do. Well, you know, it's one of the things because we've got pretty much everything at, at our facility now. And um, one of the things about the artist series is the ability to set up touchscreen shortcuts, things that work for you in the way that you're used to working, that you could set it up in a customized way. And I think that you know, we start looking at the power of Pro Tools and how you want to do it, especially you know, we look at HDX two and HDX three with five hundred and seven hundred fifty tracks. Right, it's a lot of tracks. So the question is, how do you organize it? You have you know different views, different setups. Um, you could kind of do custom faders, but that means every show yep. you're going to need you know a, a day or two to set it up. So the question is, how does that work? And by having a certain lot of touch buttons that every mixer kind of goes in with, yep. uh, will be massively powerful. Well, I got to give Avid some kudos, uh, even though their stock price is under six dollars. Uh, <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> no, no. I mean, at least they're not—they're not giving up. Hey, with and, Pro Tools Eleven, you got to buy all new hardware, a whole new computer, and a whole new mixer. Yeah. They're back in business. <laughs> and update all your plugins. And update all your plugins. I know, really. <laughs> it's like a startup. You know what? Uh, can I just chime in one other thing about the console? Yes. 
so you know they've been working on this thing for a really long time and uh i just want to say that i i have never seen a product developed before that i thought was such a perfect reflection of requests from the users they really really listen to their users um i mean it's not like they're doing everything that everybody asked for you know they're uh martin kleiber and the team there are absolutely brilliant you know euphonic stuff has been brilliant for a long time but they really did listen to their users in the post world, their users in music, their users in education, their users in all the different industries, in broadcast, in live. And they really, really paid attention. I mean, there's so many times that a company will pretend to listen to its users and then it's just sort of like lip service so they can say they were listening. This was not that at all. They, they designed and changed. And a lot of times, I mean, like with Euphonics, uh, they've been responsible for coming out with better ideas than their users were asking for. So if they thought they had a better idea, they'd go with that. But it really is a reflection of what the users and, and all the experts they talked to uh, wanted. And it's just, it's an awesome product. The big question that's going to be hitting everyone is when you see a hugely configured one, it's like, well, that looks cool. You know, how many millions of dollars is that going to be? Right. Well, yeah. That, that's what we still don't know. But the fact that it is... Uh, so sort of modular or configurable or whatever you want to say, it's uh, it's going to be able to reach across all sorts of different uh, uh, levels of customer that the icons really weren't able to as much. You know, you had these giant price jumps. Do you have thirty grand or do you have one hundred and thirty grand kind of thing? Right. Uh, I think it's it's going to just appeal to a lot more people. And I think when people actually get their hands on it to play with it. It just feels like the most solid, well-designed thing you've ever tinkered with. I, I think they really hit a home run. I'm just dying to know how much it's going to cost. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I, the, my, be, you know, I wasn't sure we could say modular, but um, yeah, no, it says modular in the oh, good in, in yeah. the uh, teaser. It's going to be, be a modular able to design. short load a console and build it based on your needs. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's still a typewriter. Right. I mean, it's there's no well, audio potentially going through it other than the monitor section. It's a t- you mean a mouse. But it, yes, yeah, it's, it's a controller. So <laughs> the question is, I mean, I've seen big film mixers use just eight faders. Right. Because that's all they really need within any given time. And a lot of guys, even with the Series 5, are going with, you know, eight faders, 24 faders, not these big mega consoles. Right. Because in reality, A, it takes you out of the sweet spot. And B, you don't always need it. But you do need something that organizes your tracks well. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Well, like I said, as somebody who's been very critical of Avid, uh, it's good that I can actually be impressed and wowed. And I'm looking forward to seeing what it can do and how much it costs because I think that's that's going to be the uh, the key is their price point. What well, I, I have just, one uh, – go on, Rob. Sorry. I was just going to say what I've decided to do is uh, is replace my icon and just get like a 16-foot chassis for the new console – but then just get eight faders because that's all the music or post industry seem to want to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> this massive, you know, uh, diving board with eight faders in the middle. But it's going to be the most awesome. See, 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 isn't the room of the future, though, a glossy white room with like a little chair and like a little <laughs> couple faders and a couple monitors that are white. And uh, and that's it. I mean, it's like the minimalism and a little round it's like cylinder. It's like the key of audio, you know, a little round Can cylinder. Can there at least be some maple accents? 
<laughs> what were you just saying, Nick? Oh, I just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, Euphonics and the, and the Artist Series. I mean, let's bring this down to the reality of most of the people that are listening to this radio show and most of the people that are out there that are doing this stuff right. um, that bought into the promise of the Artist Series and the Artist Control and the Artist Mix and the various units, including me, right. uh, among a lot of other people. I've got three of the units across my uh, desk using with my Pro Tool system. And uh, I've had problem after problem after problem with Yukon. Yeah. And it's been incredibly frustrating. And there was a year that went by in which, in which Avid didn't even release a dot release. And um, did, and do everyone, the newer the new artist series? I have the, new, I have the newer artist series. Okay. And it's all working now, but I gave up using it for eight months in disgust. I didn't turn the things on. You know I was what? so tired of wasting my time. You're not with the only the person I know that that has happened. I've heard no, nothing about problems with that. A lot of people had problems with that. And, you know, that is. Absolutely something they had to not just kind of clear up. That that protocol has to be completely bulletproof because you can imagine the complexity. If it has right. a hard time with a small console, the idea of a giant film console. I've I've heard that it really is pretty good now. Uh, I think a lot of the problems came from always trying to maintain some compatibility at the Pro Tools level with Icon and Yukon. You know, they're very different. Sure. Even some of the data they're trying to transmit is the same. And you think about, like, with the new meters and stuff they're showing on the new console, all of that stuff having to come across the protocol, it needs to be solid as a rock. But they, they have some great minds working on it. That's it's, good to know, it's good to know that they are. The thing that drove me bananas about it was the fact that the Artist Series was more it, – it seemed to be more solid with logic than it was with Pro Tools. And no, after, I, I agree. Well, but I think a lot of that was Pro Tools' fault. Pro Tools has been cobbled together version upon version for so long. I mean, 11 is a rewrite of a lot of stuff, which is a good flushing of the system at some point. But Pro Tools has grown a bit like Windows, where it's like, let's add this feature, let's yeah. add that feature. And then it gets yeah. to the point where it's completely unmaintainable code. So it's literally unknowable when some of these bugs pop up. They're just unfixable. There's no human on earth who could ever figure out how to fix them. It's well, just too complicated. Um, Jeremy, who's in the control room right now, um, he just texted me and he actually uses the artist series and he said it works amazing now and that they actually rewrote some of the, uh, part of, uh, icon of the, um, the Yukon to work with the new console. And, uh, yeah, they, had to. they definitely had to. Yeah. I mean, I know that all of, we just built, uh, all these new sound design suites and they all have artist series in them. They're great. I, and, mine is working now too, but it didn't yeah, work yeah, for a long absolutely. time. And I was just, but the other thing is, is also, I think that what I love about the artist series for sound designers is it's a great tool. I wouldn't mix a show on it. It's not a mixing console from a traditional that's a 500 tracks. I mean, I guess you could, like you could mix on a mouse. But if you want something we do in little fader moves, you know, panning, and you want to be able to uh, automate your plugins, it's a great, it's an amazing tool. And it's very, very cost-efficient. Uh, well, that's good. Well, looking forward to seeing what happens with the X-S6 when they actually uh, release it and do the full-blown um, you know, press conference and the whole thing, and uh, hopefully that helps them. The bankers will love it. Everybody get your loans going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all depends the price point. House, like, console, house. No, you know, the money is tight. Um, anyhow, the other thing I want to talk to you guys about is uh, I just got a brand-new 7.1 Genelec system put into my Ooh. studio at work. Well, I got to come down and see it. You got to come up and see No, come down. You're right. You're it's on the 12th. Up, up, I know. Up. You're on the 12th floor. <laughs> Anyhow, but let me just tell you, A, number one, Genelec, the speakers are amazing, but the customer service has been phenomenal. 
and Scott Esterson, who was here, a guy is just – Wh- Which speakers did you go with? I got um, the 82 uh, 50s for the front and then uh, the 82 40s for the rears. And I've got um, four 82 40s and then the, the front – my front wall is uh, 82 50s. And then I got this 72 – Is that the giant sub 70. You know? Yeah, the big sub. and Seat shaker. Man, that thing just just rocks. I mean it, it – it could just, it could shake the whole floor, you know. I, I was, <laughs> I was testing it out, and all of a sudden, the door swing open, and one of the post supervisors goes, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was, and I was laughing and everything. I go, and that's just at five. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the thing I noticed, and I want to talk to you guys as a sound designer, is. I hear a, a clarity and I hear a focus in in my mixes, but more so in my sound design that, to be honest, I hadn't heard before. And I was working on an M&K system and it wasn't the best. And I still actually have two of them and I A-B them. And it's like – it's the difference between mixing on like FM radio and here is your, you know, great stereo. And here's FM radio and here's your good stereo. It was, it was that um, – that noticeable. And I wanted to talk to you guys about monitoring. You know, we, we talk about sound design and we're going to talk a little bit about that on, on the second half and some specifics about that. But I wanted to know what you guys use for your monitoring. Um, starting with you, Brett, what do you use for your monitoring? The JBL 710s, is that what you're saying? Yeah, what? whatever you use to monitor. That's exactly what I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. I your mean, speakers. Yeah, my speakers. I play through JBL 710s. I mean, uh, I have the surrounds, I have the sub, and I have the rears, all the JBL 710s. And Scott, what about you? You know, I've gone with two systems, and I, I know exactly what you're saying. I have a Dyne system set up, which I really like, and that's the, you know, it's for me hearing everything that nobody else will hear. Um, and I love it, and you, you, you just, the clarity is, is remarkable. Uh, they're very similar to Jenny's. Jenny's and Dines are, are just yeah they're just they're both excellent. Um, but here's the other thing I found was I also have a JBL system of LSR 32s, mm-hmm. Bryston amp. Um, one thing I do like about the JBLs, the JBLs are a great sounding speaker that emulates everything else that I hear out there. Um, it's not it's not perfect. So what I found is now with the Jennies and the Dines, it's not hyped. But you just hear everything. But if I get a good mix on my Dines and I put them on my, my JBLs, it may not be perfect. But if I get my JBLs to sound good and then I play them on my Dines, right. they sound even better. Yeah. So I found you know it's, it's a trade-off. And it, it just depends on what you're looking for. The two things when I'm mixing and designing is on one hand, I want to hear everything that I got. Right. On the other hand, I want to see how it's going to translate to the real world. Right. And um, and it makes me work a little bit harder. So, um, you know. You know, I've had a totally similar experience, except the only difference is, is if I get a good mix on the Genelex, it sounds great. If I get a good mix on the M&Ks and then I play it on the Genelex, I realize what a bad mix that was. <laughs> yeah, the Genelex yeah. traveled better. For sure. well, also, the M&Ks have that strange crossover. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, you know, it's, yeah. The thing about the M&Ks is – you get a little bit of high end, but it's it's muddy. And then the mids, yeah. like the high mids, are just they're all clustered together. And 
and there's no there's no you get bass, you get a little bit of low mids, and then you get this little high thing. But man, the 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 high the the really high tie frequencies where you hear um, a lot of your clarity, a lot of your air lives, yeah. you know, you know, you're talking 20, you yeah. know, 22 up in that area. You just don't have it. And, and consequently what was happening, and I knew this was my mixes were tending to get bright with like, I played them on another system. They were bright. So I actually had to train myself to not mix that bright. Cause I, the first time I heard, I, I was in. Here's a story. Here's a horror story. Okay, <laughs> I gotta tell you this horror story. I was working on some bonus material for a big studio, and I was mixing it in five one on the um, on the uh, M and K system that I have. Actually, no, I think it was stereo. Anyway, they were having a problem with some of the audio, and so I had to take my session, and we had to go down to the lot. And I won't say what studio, but we had to go down to the lot and it was their head audio guy and like three of their, you know, big producer people over there. And they were playing my mix um, in front of everybody. And I'm sitting there with our producer and all I could hear was the amazing hyped high end that I had on that mix because I couldn't hear that high end on my speakers. And so when I played it bad, and that was like, that was one of the first times where I'm thinking, holy smokes, this sounds like, you know, it was harsh. I mean, it's it just was really, it was off. ripping yeah. your head off. And, and to, the good thing was, is the issues that they were having had absolutely nothing to do with the actual um, sound of the mix. It was actually some of the syncing and some of the other issues that they had from stuff that was prepared because of the way it was all um, transcoded. It was getting out of sync and the, just – it wasn't my fault. Let me just put it that way. So on one hand, I'm signed, you know, whew. But on the other hand, I was, I was just horrified how bad it sounded. And that's when I started like, OK, can't do that. But I think it's, it's important because I've – you know, I've always bought my own speakers. Uh, even though the, the oh no we'll give you speakers I'm like eh. if if you buy the speakers I like fantastic but if you don't I'm still gonna buy my own speakers because that's my ears and I think maybe because I came from KRK you know in the early days right Genlac uh, KRK Dines have a very sharp high end oh absolutely not so it kind of has a little bite to it so like even Keith Clotwood from KRK would sit there and say listen to the snare it has a snap and I like that snap I've been used to hearing it. But then when you look at speakers like M&K and Adams, you're never going to get that snap. Right. Because of the that, folded ribbon it, tweeter it, in the it's, Adams. It's, it's more like that tubey kind yeah. of round. It's a you smoother. hear all the frequencies, yeah. but you never hear that. It never comes out and bites you a little bit. Yeah. But the good thing about having – I would rather have that kind of snap and then dial it down exactly. and, and be able to control it than to not have it and and then you're Boost dialing it, it up and you, uh, it was horrible. But – Anyhow, let's Nick. What what monitors do you use? Well, um, for me, I've been using the same monitors for fifteen years because I love them, uh, and that's the Genelec ten thirty one A's. I have those an LCR. Are awesome. Yeah, I I, I love those speakers. They're great. Uh, you know, I've got an LCR set um, at home, and so when I'm doing either dialogue or mono sound design work, I just work off the center channel. Yeah. And when I'm doing anything stereo, ambiences, or music, I work off the left right. 
Um, I have a pair of Dynaudio BM5A Mark IIs. I think we're all going to, you know, I think we're all in the same world here. Are those here. the little desktop slanted guys? No, no. A friend of mine's about to buy those, but these are, these are oh, the, yeah. the bigger ones. Yeah. And then at Disney, um, that's what I bought for my whole audio department. So nice. whether you're doing dialogue, music, or sound design, everyone's got Dynaudio BM5A Mark IIs, and they're great. And everybody loves them. Yeah. Everyone, everyone in the whole place is perfectly happy with them. And I don't know. I've ever heard about that in any, you know, with any set of monitors yeah. before. Brandon, what about you? At home, I've got the Genelec 8040As, which I love. The, um, the stereo image I noticed on those is way better than – I've got Mackies at work. I was looking up the exact number. I forget, but they're about this big. Oh, uh, <laughs> the the Genelec-inspired uh, uh, speakers? HR 824s. Uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. That's there, yeah. Um, but I hate mixing on those at work. But unfortunately, I have to. Yeah. So. But you know, I will say the one thing is the, the Mackies, because I bought a pair and I went – it's funny. I was doing Gladiator. And I sat there and was, oh, this is great, and I'm building these animals, and great, oh, it's ballsy and big, and they have a this lot of bass. Yeah. Oh, it's great! And I'm sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to play this back for the crew, and I'm so proud of myself. Went back, brought it back to my room because I was cutting at home. Came back and it was so wimpy, <laughs> and I just went, I'm so confused <laughs> because they have this beautiful low end. They kind of remind me of Studio Tad systems, right? Like you know, just real punchy. Yeah. I will say one thing about the Mac is they are fun to listen to. So if you're yeah. Writing yeah, music, you can rock it. On oh, you things, can rock yeah. in it, but they're not. They're not yeah. true. They don't have that clarity, and my mixes don't travel as well, right. As if they do on the Genelux. Yeah. Rob, what about you? What do you? Uh, what are your monitors? <laughs> well, I'm well. I'm sitting in my room that looks like it's a commercial for Genelux, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and in in a lot of ways it is. I mean, I'm I agree with you. I've been using uh, 1031As for however long they've been out, and completely love them. I have I have the newer generation. As well, too, but for the main seven one stuff, it's ten thirty one A's. My main thing with Genelex is they're phenomenal speakers, but they really, really benefit because they do have such wide frequency response. They really benefit from being set upright and having a room that's set upright. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can see, but in the Skype image, my ten thirty one A's are actually sitting on carbon fiber feet that are then sitting on three inch solid concrete slabs on top of another slab of granite. And all of that is in an iron uh, understructure that stands behind the console that sort of holds the speakers above the console. That's the setup because I have until- at home as well. Great minds. There was a reason for it though, because uh, the interaction between the speakers and the console, when they were sitting on the same uh, piece of furniture, and I've had these speakers back from when my console was just like O2Rs sitting on a wooden table. Right. Um, I found that it was really important to isolate the Genelex from everything else in the room if possible. And also they're pulled way far from the wall because they're not a speaker that requires a wall to help generate the bass, you know, especially right. if you have the big sub, which I have hiding behind. But I found like if you just get a pair of Genelex and take them out of the box and sit them on your table, they'll probably be pleasing, but they'll be pleasing the same way a color TV is pleasing at Best Buy. It's like all the colors are turned up too bright and it's, it's there for show, but your stuff is not going to translate to other environments. The trick with Genelex, and I think it's probably true with Dynes, though I have less experience with Dyn Audios, it's very important to have them set up right, to tune your room, to make sure that they're physically positioned properly, and then that your room is set up properly. You know, we've been mixing on these speakers at this point for a really long time, from back to my old studio in the 90s, and we've never had a problem with things tra- translating to theatrical or television or records or anything, which I realize it's a no-no. If you're going to mix theatrical, you're supposed to be doing it in a big room. And just don't tell that to my clients who've mixed theatrical stuff here. 
Um, if the speakers are set up right, we found that the Genelex will translate everywhere. But it, I did actually bring in an acoustician to tune the room, which was like 50 bucks an hour and took a few hours. It's not like it was this multi-thousand dollar big investment. If you have great speakers, spend far less than you spend on the speakers. Spend a little bit more and get an acoustician to really tune your place. It's unbelievable the difference it makes. And a lot of times it has to do with, we'll throw a piece of fabric here or move the speaker here. It's Sometimes it's so simple, but if you don't know, you don't know. And, and Rob, um, our new studios are being designed by Ken. Oh, are they? Yeah. Cool. Well, buy the uh, $1,200 power cords if you get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and tell him I say hi. Well, um, the uh, the speakers that I got are the DSP, the new DSP ones, where basically you set up a network, a speaker network, and you link them all together, and then you use the um, the GLM software that they have. To... This is the Genelec DSP yeah, speakers? Yeah, and it's phenomenal. I mean, they, I basically, I can set up a, a mix point where I'm at, okay, and it tunes the room. It's pretty cool. You hear all the speakers sweep, and you have this little microphone that you hook up, and then you can set up a mix point. Where the, where the producer behind me is sitting. So I go over there and I have a mix point there. So And I can I can switch between the two. All right, so I mix on this one and when I do a playback, I just I just uh, go to uh, F2 and it changes its, you know, the whole focus to behind me. And it's pretty amazing. And it, the other it, good thing about it, Mike, is that it's all done over the network. Yeah. So if you ever lose a mix, the NSA probably has a copy of it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, the, the good thing about that too is, is uh, it corrects for a lot of the problems that I have with my room. And believe me, I have a lot of problems with my room. I mean, I have a standing bass wave that it's slow, but it's not even go there. The LSRs do the exact same thing, yeah. right? And it's, we have the exact same thing yeah. with the LSRs. Well, then, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the 3228s do. Yeah. But, um, and the Dyne Air system has a sort of version yeah. of that. This one, this one, it's real. I mean, I, I was amazed at how deep you can get into the speaker. And, which translates into how much trouble Mike can get into if he starts digging around. Um, but it was really pretty easy to set up. And um, working with Scott, he kind of talked me through it. But it's it's really cool. I, I, and it's it's so important. And I wanted to bring this up because, you know, we're going to talk about sound design. But before you even get there, you know, you got to set yourself up so you can hear this stuff because it's really important. It's and very you, important. And you got to hear it the way you need to hear it. For instance um, – when I go to up to Brandon's room, and the he, worst sounding room ever. No, but I. The one thing I will I will give you is that his speakers, even though they're not the best, but for what he does on a lot of those hits and stuff, it sounds impressive, right? He, can, I can go up there and he's like, "Hey, look at this," because he's working on some fantastic movie, doing some great big hit, and um, and he plays it back, and man, there's some power there, brother. I mean, it, it can you can you can hear it. You can and the nice it. thing too, a lot of our editors have those same monitors, right? So it translates well to them, and that's the first level of people you have to please. But you exactly. know what? That's actually a, a very interesting point. Which um, the reality of a lot of what we do is, you want it to translate to the audience, but the reality we know is the audience has an infinite amount of possibilities. Of how it's going to sound. Right. So you, you don't want to sound bad, but other than that, it's very hard to control. So even for the listeners out there, it's important to, to note that in some ways the people we need to please are the client. Yeah. Whether it's the director, the producer, 
if they are happy and they love it, and it translates pretty well. Then we it, get a paycheck. Oh, yeah. If you That's can rock the room and they go, I love it. Yeah. I'm going to hire you forever. Thank yeah. you very much. And then you, you work forever and, and the translation is what it is. And yeah. I mean, after, you know, talking about speaker systems, we, uh, I got a chance to, when we set up for the premiere for Pacific Rim, they put in a giant concert system at the Dolby Theater. And I think they must have had 60 feet of subs. Just the whole floor oh. was subs. And they had five arrays and a five one across the screen. And I did the test. And I said, how does it sound? They said, well, it's, it's a little loud. And I said, well, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to move the room. So I sat in you know, the perfect spot where we tuned it. And it was great because the sound was physical. I mean, my pants were moving. You know, when, you know, between the roars and the footsteps, it was like, I just sat there and went, I am a sound design nirvana. <laughs> I, and I called everybody who worked on the show saying, you have to get down here now to experience it. I mean, look, it's never going to play like that anywhere on earth right. except for that time, at that place, at that spot. Well, I had a good time, you know. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what's important is, man, when you get that sweet spot, when you're, when like, the first time I played something fun through through the speakers i was uh, you know to hear a real low sub sweep and then you actually hear the whole thing it just doesn't stop halfway through the sound <laughs> you can get to those super low octaves and it just shakes you the see room. your woofer going flap, 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 it was flap, just it's just it's just it, it's it, luscious it's always fun I just, the only thing about that the only thing about that that i find so frustrating i was actually working on a a music thing yesterday not a post thing but uh, I was putting in all these sounds, and I was each sound I'm going through. It's like, wow, that's the coolest thing no one will ever hear. Oh, and that's the next. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you got to have you got to sort of think down the road to what the right. end result is going to end up being. Uh, and Scott and I have had our battles working on the same projects where it's like, well, sound design should win this moment, music should win this moment. But the truth is also, you know, when your mix gets crunched, you might have some. Uh, you know, giant low synth that just has this super low, clean, like 40 hertz thing that just makes your pants move, as Scott says. But you just know by the time it's broadcast or run through whatever, you know, yeah. crap they're going to run it through, well, that's going to go away. And, yeah. and, and even we're talking about this one project we worked on, and this one specific client wanted it bigger than big. And we were doing a trailer for it, and it was something that. You know, the problem, A, it's a trailer, means which has sound restrictions, but there's only so much volume, right? even at 85, on the low end that you can actually reproduce. And so, you know, there's a system of what do you do when you go beyond that, and at some point, you just turn, on, you turn up the speakers. And then the mixer's looking at me going, but it'll never translate that way in a theater. It didn't matter. So we, you know, I looked at it, the client goes, no, nah, it's got to be bigger. It'll never be that big anywhere. So we just cranked up the volume to like 90. 60 would be up, and, and they went, perfect. <laughs> and we're like, okay, great. I was just going to say, I'm sure you've all had clients because uh, the way we describe this client that Scott's talking about is they just wanted everything louder than everything else. It's like take every sound and make it louder than every other sound. That's it got all to the point of our was, trailer clients. It was so yeah. loud in yeah. a big old-style dubbing theater. And this was nested in rooms and rooms and rooms. Right. You could hear it outside. Wow. Well, you could hear it from space. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, we are, we're going to take a break right now. Um, but uh, it was really good talking to you guys about monitors. And uh, I just want to tell everybody, 
look, before you start sound designing and spending money and all kinds of wazoo, you know, software and tools and things like that, look at your speakers. That's a good place to start. The Audio <laughs> Nowcast, now sponsored by Genelec Monitor. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, a really good voice. Yeah, yeah, you know? Thank you very much. The other thing I'll point out to anybody looking for speakers, don't discount speakers because they're old. Like if you can find a pair of 1031As in good shape, that's an awesome pair of speakers. Same Absolutely. with older Dynaudio, same with yep. a lot of older speakers. Speakers are the kind of thing – I know I have friends who are still mixing on speakers from 30 years ago because they love them. And, and, uh, and the thing with yours, Rob, is don't listen to the hype. Don't listen to anything the salesman says. Bring material that you're familiar with. Play it back. Listen to every speaker, and whatever speaker sounds good to you is the speaker you're going to go home with. Yep. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to continue to talk on uh, sound design, and we're going to get into some specifics. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking monitors and good, all good thing monitors. And, you know, Scott was saying, or was Rob saying? Rob was saying about... Um, don't be afraid to buy uh, used um, older speakers because some of them are, are still good. Um, I love Moro tones. Just joking. Yeah. Well, you know what? But there's no, some, they, had, they had their place. There's some great deals oh, on, on passive speakers too. And and if you get the right passive speaker with the right um, power amp, like that's um, what I have. I mean, like mine a, are passive. Like a Bryston. Yeah, like Bryston's Bryston. are amp. Oh, beautiful. I mean, those are just snappy. Fun. Yes, they're phenomenal. They're fast and they sound good and they're open in the bass and and that's a whole nother conversation we can have on uh on power amps because for the longest time you know i was always thinking well, how much difference can a power amp make but oh, man huge. you, you hear bryston and then you hear you know some of the other ones that people claim to be really great and they're not so you know it's just just no comparison but um but anyhow so just do some homework you can always find a deal out there but that's you know that's a tool of the trade that you that's that's where you start and if you're going to do if you're going to do passive speakers with a great amp, make sure to use really good speaker cable. I mean, you don't have to use the thousand dollar a foot insanity stuff, but use really good speaker cable. Nine hundred dollars is just as good. What's that? Nine hundred dollars a foot is just as good. <laughs> yeah, right. No, just don't use like Radio Shack lamp cord. Like yeah. a lot yeah. of use use some really good speaker cable. It makes a very very noticeable difference. And I'm not one of these tweaky people who. You know, gets all excited about the hype. If I don't hear the difference, I'm happy to say I don't hear the difference. Right. But good speaker wire does does make a difference. No, that, that's true. I think, and what you do is what what I kind of visualize is is I visualize the power coming from um, the power amp is like coming down a hose, and you don't want to have a small little spigot. You want to have a nice hose to to take all that power coming down. Right. And I will say, overall, the amp technology though in the last five. So years, it's gotten really pretty good, though, compared well, to. Kind of had to. It's had to because everybody's buying these all-in-one units. So the power amp companies have really had to step it up to really have a reason to yeah. go that way. I yeah. mean, even like the old Yamahas and Crowns, they were kind of okay, but like the new Crowns are pretty amazing. The Brystons are good, and there's a new generation of power amps that are 
you know, and, and including speakers too, by the way. Yeah. That are pretty amazing. Well, I just find them fast. Like Bryson's yeah. are fast. You, yeah. Your transients are just going to Especially pop, on the low end. Boop, pop, boop. Yeah, especially yes. on the low end. That's what I find is the low, I, I got an extra octave on my LSR 32s with the Bryson's on the bottom end. Wow. It's like, wow, okay. You know, one, one more thing about speakers on, on the low end. You know, I've been doing a ton of work for iPhone and iPad. And I have an Avantone on my desk along with, you know, the nice things. So right. it's like sort of the modern version of the Oratone. Yeah. And they're great because it takes off the top and it takes off the bottom. Yeah. And it gives me a real quick confidence check as to where the levels of different stuff are. If I know it's going to be playing back on a, a little phone or on a speaker coming out of a tablet or something. Yeah. So it's good tip. Yeah, I, I mean. St- I still have sitting up here my original Oratones that I think I bought in 1986. Uh, not long after I moved out here. Original drivers, original everything, and I could not get through a day without them. I yeah. mean, they are, you know, they don't sound good, but they're just, there's something so honest. And everybody should have a secondary pair like that, even if it's just this, the speaker in your computer monitor or whatever. Yeah. you got to yeah. have the crappy way to check stuff. It's so, keeps you humble. I mean, on the yeah. game side, I always have a pair of Logitechs just I go to yeah. Best Buy. Yeah. Logitech. Just buy some Logitech thing. You know, yeah, it's good enough, you know. Yeah, I run... Uh, I have every, you know, I have Oratones, but I also run my signal through my monitor. I have a Toshiba monitor, a yeah. client monitor, yeah, yeah. and I run all the mixes through that because it's TV speakers and it's, you know, it is what it is, and you can really get a really good reality. And you can check. really tell when people don't. Yeah, because you sit there, watch TV, and you go, I have no clue what they just said. Yeah, it's one thing that I've noticed. It's really of concern to me. I have a pair of Apple twenty-seven inch monitors on my desk, and I use those for the same thing. And I find them to be incredibly boomy. I don't know if it's just where they are, but there's a, there's this like false low end to them. Um, I think they're tuned. They're tuned to be that way. I think because yeah. people are listening to their iTunes library and they like hearing that boom. Yeah, yeah. But, but don't I, don't trust them for sound design but, or but for. You know. But you know what? I think it's not just them. There's a lot of monitors that are are hyped on the low end. And actually, let's well, they not try to make mo- they don't usually do that. Let's not even go monitors. There's a lot of consumer um, focused products that are all boomy. Like if you look look at like for instance, like even um, the headphones that are coming out the. Uh, well, yeah. Well, Dr. the Dre's. Bose. Yeah, Doctor Dre's. Yeah, but Bose headphones tend to be really kind of boomy, and actually, that's why I like them because I like I like the fact that they add a little bit of a little bit of punch. And when I listen to music, I'll listen to on my my Bose, um, but their speakers are the same way. I, all that acoustic wave stuff that's all hyped on the low end. Well, it's, got the, it's like the loudest meter is automatically built into the speaker. Yeah, it's it's like it hypes that you know mega bass, like that one twenty five yep. frequency, that kind of. You know, gives you that punch, and but also can get really boomy. So well, that that can be very helpful because if your room is not tuned exactly perfectly with your sub, a lot of times you're wondering about whether you've put on the right amount of that low end. If you can listen to one one of those systems that really hypes it, yeah, it actually makes it way easier to tell whether you're in the ballpark or not. Sure, um, yeah, that, it definitely has merit. You just gotta be aware of it. Like, don't listen to the big bass boomy. Headphones not realizing that they're big bass booming. That's all. well, yeah, and quite frankly, it's you know when we talk about listen to reality, that's that's a lot of rea- a lot of reality is there's going to be people out there listening to it with that with that hype. Well, low end. well that's, the, the, the irony of that, of course, is if you are listening on big boomy headphones or big boomy monitors because you're trying to like make something that's got a lot of bottom, the irony is you're going to end up mixing bass light. That's because true. there's so much artificial low end that's there, you're going to go oh, the opposite way. And, and the other part, something I do is I've got two subsystems. I have one that is at 85 dB, which is sub extension, and then I've got the 91 LFE 
So I'm hearing, so if I take sounds and I'm not adding any LFE, I can hear it all the way down so that when it plays back on a Logitech or anything that has bass management, I can get a sense to what that's going to sound like before I put any LFE in. Awesome. Well, hey, let's move on. Let's get into some sound design now. All right. I, I got the sound designers here. I want to talk about sound design. And specifically... The sound of space. After our last little get-together in a, the round table, you know, I, I was thinking about what, what sound is and where, as a sound designer, what our role is in the whole thing. And, and I realized some of the stuff that we were saying, you know, sound is, is emotion. You know, I mean, it basically, it gives the viewer the perspective of how they should feel at that moment. If it's scary or if it's exciting, if it's big, if it's little, and, and there's a big emotional element to sound design. And I wanted to find out if you guys, when you do your sound design, if you ever think about the emotion of the sounds that you're doing, if you and and how you manifest that, and and how how does that come across? Because I think, as you know, if I was talking to somebody who was wanting to get into sound design, and I wanted, you know, what makes a really good sound design? I would say sound design is really good. Sound design is sounds that make you feel something that make you feel, you know, whatever. And I want to start with you, uh, Brett. When you do your sound design, what part does emotion play with what you do? Well, it depends on, it depends on what character, you know, obviously, uh, that you're designing for. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm basing it on characters right now because I'm doing a lot of characters. Right. And, uh, let, me, almost... let me just give a little background. Brett's doing a lot of video game, and he's doing a lot of uh, sound design for video games. Um, so, saying that. Superheroes and, video, and villains and that type of thing. Um, it really depends on, like I said, on, on what character, whether they're... <laughs> Uh, a hero, whether they're a villain, uh, what type of uh, powers that I'm doing. And again, I'm going to keep bringing back these characters because that's, that's what I'm working on. Um, but for something like, for instance, magic, and you have someone, it's going to be something that's going to be completely different. It, magic is magic, right? I mean, we've all heard magic in endless films and video games and so on and so forth. But it depends on the, that character, like what their history is, what what they're doing. But at the same time, I always feel like when I do... Uh, when I'm designing magic, in terms of affecting the emotions of people that are listening to it, right. I want it to feel like they, as human beings, I know this sounds really dramatic, but they, as human beings, shouldn't actually be hearing what they're hearing. Does that make sense? Like it's some from some other world that you go, oh, Jesus, that's not, we, we, sh- we shouldn't even be around that. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of thing where a lot of the stuff that I'm working on isn't like my little pony magic. It's more like, you want to make little kids run away. Like that's, that's kind of the, yeah, not Disney magic, not Disney magic. Exactly. Um, but yeah, again, as, as I've said before on everything else that we've done, I always feel like it's, it's very character driven. Um, is that what you're looking for? Yeah. I mean, basically I just want to see what you use to, for instance, um, I was doing a series of commercials and there was an aspect of wonder that I had to, portray right like hmm, that's that's kind of cool and so when i was looking for sounds i was basically looking for things that were 
that were kind of rises, that kind of had an open end that kind of you weren't really quite sure where it was taking you. You know, just something as simple as that. Another thing that I was is I was doing um, one for a series of drunk driving commercials and the it was very cold and all the sounds, all the shots were of um, an aftermath after an accident at this birthday party. And so I wanted everybody to feel kind of isolated and kind of cold. So what I did is I kept the sh- the sounds um, really specific and focused, but very, you know, by themselves. It's like they, they stood out. Um, there was a drip off of a, off of a soda can and you heard the drip and it was just, when I mixed it, I mixed the drip really loud, but there wasn't, you didn't hear any tweeting birds in the background. You didn't hear anything. You just heard the drip and the little fizz when it hit. And these are kind of things that I think we do subconsciously that it's, you know, when I really start to analyze this, it's all emotions. We're all playing with emotions. Right. And a lot of it is what has to do with dissonance <clears throat> and tone mm-hmm. and harmony. Like you, you want things to, con- you, you want cadence, you want uh, the just before the cadence, you want things to. And also rhythm. And rhythm. Oh, and, de- and rhythm definitely. Rhythm is huge. huge. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us, Scott, when, you, when you're sound designing and, and you know, how yeah. does emotion, or do you even think about it? You just, I, it, maybe first you just of all, do it instinctually. I, I, all the, whether it's games or movies, whatever I work on, it's all a story. So, yes, I, I'm 100% on the emotional side. And, and it's, it's, some, it's, it's sometimes always hard to put in words because it's a feeling. It's, it's, if it's the difference when someone goes to a groove, like a drummer. Right. Sometimes they could play it exactly accurate, and it just doesn't have it. And then somebody can lay back into the beat a little bit, and you just go, yeah, it's just, it's right. It's in the pocket. It feels good. So with sound design and sound effects, and, and it's all a soundtrack. We got music. We got dialogue. We have sound effects. And what we want to do is we want to be able to obviously tell the story of whatever is being done, whether it's it, the aura of magic and the excitement for kids, the giggle factor, or if it's something to make you remember something. There's two things that happen. You know, when you listen to music, the music might be like, eh, like I might hear a Led Zeppelin tune that I go, God, I remember. Oh, God, I remember when I heard that tune. And then all this history comes back. Right. My son will hear it, and he doesn't have that background. So he hears it differently. So with sound effects, you're talking about rain. Yeah. All of a sudden, if you were brought up in Georgia, in Atlanta, in a, in a very humid climate, and all of a sudden, you go, God, I remember hearing that as a kid. It sounds just like when I used to hang out and hear the rain dripping. So all of a sudden, you could take very simple sounds and paint. You know, like I joke around with my clients. My sound is to be so good, you could smell it, where you could sense it. So if you close your eyes, you get transported to another place. Yeah. And, that, and the point for us is you take the tools of our trade, whether it's dissonance and edge and, or make it big and loud, yeah. or if it's silence cut by just a very articulate, tender sound right. that just cuts through, and it's eerie. So you know, there's so many tricks and trades, like music, and when you do an orchestra, I mean, to me, it's all an orchestra. People keep saying, well, where's the violins? Well, I can use other sounds. I mean, when people do minor seconds or synths, a lot of scores right now is, is sound design. It's not a, there's no instrument that does it. Yeah. There's no melody. You can't hum it, but it has this weird tonalness yeah. to it. That you makes you go, ooh. Yeah. You know. You know, what's interesting with sound design too is is usually it's not just one sound that 
Well, let, let me. It's let not me a single instrument. It's an right. Orchestra. It's it's your an orchestra, for instance. Like you may have like a rise that's going to set you up for a really big slam. Well, let's talk. You know, Brandon, you are mm-hmm. excellent at this because I've stolen a lot of your sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, but, you asked permission. I <laughs> but but um, you you design these really great rises that just beg for a release of a slam on the other side. And sometimes, like if I'm doing a, a trailer or something and I, and I need to set up this slam that's coming down here, I'll throw a rise. And it's it's not even necessarily the typical, you know, it could be just a, a change of energy. But but it's, it's the fact that the slam gets accented because I've built up this tension of this of this sound coming to it. Yeah. Exactly. And and not only that, but when you start thinking about sounds in in the in an orchestral uh, manner like Scott was talking about, you know, you throw a nice transition, yeah, a, a nice swoosh on a transition, that really can help set the energy for what's going to happen after that, you know? So let's just say there's a pan, right? And and pans don't make any sounds, but if you put a nice on the pan, then you've 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 kind of like pushed the story along to like okay now we're expecting you're you're on the edge of your seat as opposed to if it just kind of went across and it was just a moment of time. But Brandon does a lot of this stuff for you the trailers because trailers is all emotion because you're mm-hmm. just trying to to. Um, sell the movie tell you know let's talk about that a little bit in trailers yeah you're you're trying to get people's attention and you know there's a couple different ways like you see in a lot of trailers it's just you know punchy in the face sound all the time really shocking especially with horror you know you've got you've got all your different sounds that are scary and creepy and you know um but then sometimes it's it's the absence of that that's the most important thing when you either you pull it out for a moment or you where you would expect, like, you have a big chaotic, you know, action scene going on. You go with the, the silence or the real eerie, just a tone or soft, you know, counterpoint music or whatever to get that emotion across. Because it's not always, you know, the like I said, the, the punchy in the face. You Audio know, red herrings where you, you yeah. think somebody's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. And you never do the payoff. Yeah. And you leave them hanging, which is kind of fun. Yeah. The, you know, the cool thing is, is with your stuff and, and probably with your stuff too – in order for the silence to make sense and to be effective, you better have some big, giant sound beforehand. I mean, you got to set a precedent up so you have all this energy going so that when you do hit that moment of silence, um, it, it it's such a contrast from where you've been that it just makes just an impact, you know? It's the uh, the quiet, loud, quiet, yeah. loud yeah. sort of And, and some of it's very subliminal. Like, have you ever been in a restaurant – and you don't realize there's either like a Hobart machine or an air conditioning rumble that happens. And then all of a sudden it shuts off. And you're like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of times I've taken yeah. sub-frequencies that you can't hear. Mm-hmm. But you could feel it. And I staccato it. It's not like, and I just pulse the audience. Yep. And it gets louder and louder, but they can't hear the tone. There's it. no pitch. They pulse it, pulse it. They can't hear it. They're tensioning up. And I shut it off, and they're like, ah! <laughs> you know, all of a sudden they're like, well, I didn't even know there was any sound. That's but- a great idea. Yeah. That is a yeah. great, right you know, there. That's a great the, idea. Uh, the elevators in our building are, we're on 12th floor. I, I realize the elevator room is above my room. Is it really? And so the other day or a week ago, the uh, they were malfunctioning. And I just, 
there was like I was hearing this high pitched tone, and I'm going, "What the hell is that?" And then I felt this like like you're saying this yeah. uneasy feeling, and I was like, "What the hell?" And it was, it was like doing this crazy thing. So I went up there, help and me, uh, help me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, that's what it is." And I had realized I had um, when I record in my room. When I look at the, uh, the spectral display, there's this spike like way up in 17 or yeah. above. Yeah, and it's, it's the the air con- it's the uh, air conditioning in the elevator control room that's oh. giving me a spike up there. Wow! So I'm being affected by this high tone every day, and it's like wow. I think it's causing some. In a couple more years, it won't be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're always happy when you come visit me. Exactly. Down on the sixth floor, it feels better down on six. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nick, let's talk about emotion and what you do because sure. with the iPad and the in your interactive stuff and well, and actually all the way back to my favorite game going <laughs> all the way back. Well, <laughs> you know, I when I work on sound design, you know, obviously, I think as Scott mentioned earlier, um, the most important thing is that all of the sound is really in service to the story, right? And right. so you have this intricate dance, you have this waltz of music and sound design and dialogue that are all sort of trying to work together uh, to be able to create an overall presentation, you know, to the, to the listener. Um, I like to start with sounds that will elicit some sort of an emotional response in the people, which is why I don't like using synthesizers in my sound design. I pretty much always start with real world stuff that I've recorded. Right. Um, and then I'll manipulate the daylights out of it. But, you know, I feel like there's this like, honest starting point almost um so i was doing a video game a mas- vampire the masquerade video game quite some time back i know that and- one too <laughs> oh my goodness you're my hero I'm- Nick. Well, anyway, you just keep pulling out games I just, like I'll that. just keep pulling out these little tidbits oh. for the next ten years. Um, that was so the first. Was that was the first Source game, I think. Source Engine. It was like one of the first Source Engine back in the. It was. It was very it. cool because it came with an engine to source. allow you to be able to go and Unreal? build your own. One of those. Yeah. It allowed you to be able to build your own levels, right? Exactly. As, as a and so I thought that was really cool. But there was a there was a creature in it called the Slokta, which was like this sort of yep. um, creature made out of flesh, right? And it just was all misshapen and dwarven and just horrible looking and so i went and i took a whole bunch of baby cries um because those are something that you know we're talking about dissonance those are something that is any parent can attest you know the sound of a baby crying or screaming is like the most grating awful thing you can possibly deal with you're hardwired to deal with it right away and so i took those and slowed them down and it went from what <laughs> and it was like it was the perfect counterpoint to these horrid sort of misshapen humanoid kinds of things and it was just so creepy um and and that was a really good example of you know trying to create something that was emotionally just unsettling and irritating and ter- scary and terrifying um and then you know switching gears completely to something like uh you know the monster at the end of this book, which is a Sesame Street iPad thing that I did. And I right. went in there and tried to find all of the sounds that I thought would really appeal to a three-year-old um, or to a four-year-old. And so I was trying to find rounded, cartoony sounds. Right. You know, there's a whole scene where Grover is like you know, knocking a whole bunch of pieces of wood together with hammers and nails to keep you from turning the page. And I recorded and recorded and recorded to try to find funny-sounding Hammers nailing nails into two by fours. I know that story. I said it to my son a lot. <laughs> Whatever you do, it's don't a, go to the end of the book. Don't go to the end of the book. <laughs> I love that. We, we won't tell the listeners what the payoff is. They'll have to go and get the book to find out what happens at the end. I'm, 
I'm still blown away by vampires. <laughs> uh, it's like having a real life behind the scenes of like your favorite movie because the, the video games you've worked on, I've I've played all these. That's awesome. Well, Sorry. there's there's a lot of extreme, you know, extremely talented people around this table with uh, you know very awesome resumes. So I'm impressed by everyone else. Yeah, but you know, vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Hey, Mike. <laughs> What about you? Uh, you've done some of the sound design stuff and, and you know, I know you did uh, a really cool uh, horror movie. And uh, how does emotion play? I, and I, how- I've done a ton of straight sound design for, for movies and TV and, and trailers and stuff. I think, uh, you know, something that, I, that I've done that may be a little different than uh, everyone else on the panel is I've had the – the I've had a few projects where I've gotten to really tie live music to sound design because I've done a ton of projects where there was electronic music that was also involved with sound design. Like I guess Brandon does quite a bit too. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that was electronic, but I also like in the Godzilla and Charlie's angels days, we got to do a lot of big trailers where we were using big symphony orchestras, like hundred piece orchestras. And I was doing sound design uh, as sort of part of the music in spots and probably the coolest thing we used to get to do back then was like uh, we needed all these rise ups and and stuff. And back then there weren't libraries of this stuff. I mean, you'd basically create it yourself and do a lot of the kind of stuff that uh, Brandon is doing now. But one of the things I had the luxury of doing was going to the hundred piece orchestra after we finished recording the score I had written uh, and say, okay, now we're going to play around for a half hour and just do a bunch of rises. And then I want everybody to start on the lowest note your instrument can handle and over five seconds, which I'll count with my fingers, I want you to move to the highest note your instrument can play. And then I want you to do the same thing in reverse. And then I want you to find something in the middle of your range and do like a vibrato of a whole step. Then I want to hear a, a fifth. And so I still have all these awesome recordings, and we recorded them all multi-track. Oh, you know, that's great. Record. And most of the best stuff we did was done at the uh, MGM scoring stage at Sony, but some of it was done at Tadeo, which was like a super live uh, amazing roommate, rest in peace. But uh, <laughs> but it was a way to take these organic, real sounds, not be starting with synths, actually have real players yeah. try this stuff. And they were game for it. I don't, I mean, most of them looked like they'd never been asked to do stuff like this before. But we ended up with a library that I still to this day uh, refer to, and it was all recorded in surround. And so uh, I've always sort of blurred the line between music and sound design, partially because where I've always sat in the industry, that was a good budgetary place to be because they'd never have enough for music and they'd never have enough for sound design, but they kind of had enough to make it where if you did both and you did them simultaneously, the project made sense. Um, and that's, that's why I have, you know, so much sampling gear and so much of the sound designer tools along with such of the, uh, so much of the musical stuff. But if possible, I mean, if we find out that there's some new flute player in town from some other country and he plays this weird flute that no one else in America plays because it sounds so bizarre, the first call we make is get that guy over here. Let's get everything he can do. And let's try to start with an organic musical sound and see what we can turn it into. That's awesome. Especially, I, I, I want to hear some of those sounds, by the way, Rob. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll be right over Actually, Scott, isn't, didn't some of the stuff we recorded uh, in that vein end up going towards Pacific Rim? I mean, Scott and I had worked on some stuff where we took real instruments and did totally bizarre Yeah, no, things. I mean, I can't even see what it was. Uh, um, one of our guests, Tina Guo, um, came in and, and we went to Rob's house and 
We put it through a Marshall stack and then an Axe Effects and then dry. And we detuned, detuned the cello. And we just did weird stuff on it. And um, a handful of the creatures were uh, key elements were that creature. But it wasn't like, eh, it was like, you know, and then I'd right. take that and blend it in. And you, it was just really great to. It's like the original Which, Godzilla roar. Do you know how this was made? You probably do. But it was, re- it was the composer of the film, and he put rosin on a glove, a leather glove, and ran it down a double bass string and yeah. got that. I didn't know that. Yeah. The thing is, that stuff, too, I mean, not that the client cares, but it's really fun. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah. it really does keep the stuff fun. I mean, the weirder thing you can dream up, uh, you know, have fun with it. I mean, uh, you know, you always have to keep one ear to what the client needs you to accomplish, but getting out there and being creative i mean even just whatever you have laying around the house you'd be amazed especially with how good pitch shifting technology has gotten mm-hmm. you know it used to be that you needed something really expensive to drop things a few octaves and not have it sound like crap now i mean the tools are so good try pitch shifting stuff try slowing things down try speeding them up and it's use what just- you, and use what you've got cuz that's important because i've seen people go like my god how did you get the recording oh i had this old tape deck and you like it had a shitty yeah. mic on it, but boy, did it just have a little something going on, yeah. you know? Pitch well, shifting well, trick for I, you. I, oh, sorry, just well, wanted to just eat. Think, go, on. go on. I was just going to say, and you can follow up to this. Mm. One thing that everybody at the table there has in common is they know their tools and they know their library, you know, like they know their family. I mean, it's that stuff has to become second nature because when you're under the burden or under the pressure of needing to get by a deadline, you have to rely on that knowledge. You can't always say, you know, oh, we have 10 minutes to finish this job. Let's go out and work stuff. Yeah. You got to know your tools and know your arsenal. The only difference is, is I know my tools, but I know Brandon's library. <laughs> 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 but you, you know, it's always some fun occasionally because I'm at that point and I've got a couple of projects coming up. And I, I actually, actually you did this with Pacific Rim. I, I don't want to use what I know. I'm getting tired of what I know. Yeah. And now I want to break out and try things. And that's why I don't care who you are, how much experience you have. Sometimes the guy who has no experience or the person who's just, hey, have you thought of this? And you're like, no, but I love that. Why not? So it's sometimes thinking outside the box and getting inspired by everybody and anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to bring up this emotion because, um, you know, a lot of people – Especially when they were talking about our sound design, they they wanted us to, you know, talk about you know some of the specifics and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But really, if you're out there and you're going to start your your trip and you want to be a sound designer, which by the way, that's not a bad profession to go into because Lord knows the music industry is, <laughs> you know, it's it's totally a, you know, it's it it's just it's in crisis. It's not what it used to be. Um, you know, if I was going to uh, audio school right now, I'd concentrate on um, live sound and probably sound design because that's you know there's you can still make a living. There's jobs there, and and um, everybody go away. You can't do anything. <laughs> well, and I'm not just maybe talking about, about ten feature, years. But, uh, come on over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about feature, but you know, there's a lot of sound yeah. design opportunities for um, everything from you know video games to interactive, but. But also, if you start listening to like promos and um, and you know TV promos and bumpers and radio and stuff like that, there's a lot of areas where sound is is important, and there's jobs. Um, and something even Rob said, but you, you know, is there's 
sound effects and there's music. Right. And there's something in the middle. And I know a lot of composers and musicians who become sound designers musically. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I started. I went from music to musical sound design to sound effects. Right. And some guys are doing sound effects because they were musicians that lead into musical sound design. And what's interesting, because I've done that most of my career is kind of my thing that I was known for was being a musical sound designer when they didn't exist. And now what happens is, you know, the music editor comes in with his bag of tricks with how much of cool sound design. And we come in with a lot of stingers and hits. I mean, we, we did that on hand for the trailer. Yeah. So we also we're like, Oh, okay. Well, a lot of the areas are both stung and hit and, yep. and how to, cause both groups of people merged. Yeah. But then you come up with some cool stuff that nobody's heard. And yeah. on that note, I want to say being a musician, I think has made me a way better sound designer and being a sound designer has made me a way better musician. Like yeah. it, it's good to have both. Without of those yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also know that, you know, from listening to all these guys around and what they're talking about is we're sound is really your manipulated emotion. So when you start that project or if you want to become better, just try to get in touch with that core instinct, whatever it is you're trying to convey. What's happening in the story right now? What do you want them to feel? How do you want them to feel? And I think if you use that and if you, you know, go ahead and design with your heart, you know what I mean? You're going to be much better um, than, than just throwing sounds up there and hoping that they stick. I always say you should design with your heart. <laughs> it's funny being so. a sound designer though you're sitting in a, in a movie theater and when everyone else jumps because there's that emotional you know sound you're like i saw that coming a mile away so you're the creepy tone <laughs> yeah. is happening yeah. it's, it's true you're it like, takes a little of the fun okay, out of it wait. but it's yeah here we go five four three two yeah, okay <laughs> but that's why you know even in, in projects where you can you know like i i'll, I'll do scares like twice and then i'll start setting it up again and they go here it's coming you gotta fake them out and then you absolutely fake them out and that's it's great I mean to to, to mess with the look I learned that from Count Basie when he was playing the piano he's doing it and he always ended like that that bum bink you know and he go to the high note and he played again da 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 bink and the audience is like okay and he goes da 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 and he goes to grab it and he doesn't play the key and then the audience goes crazy so anything you know it's I've got a nine year old son and it's interesting because he has no vocabulary in audio. Like a lot of times we'll be watching TV and he goes, Daddy, I'm scared. And I'm going, well, there's nothing going on visually. It's the music. Yeah. And then sometimes they go like, it's coming. It's coming. And then I'll pause and it totally freaks him out. So it's interesting to see the manipulation. Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and it, because they're so, I mean, kids are the best. Because you could just mess with them. All day long. Because yep. they got no vocabulary. <laughs> you know. And then when they get old enough, you can say, hey, but, can you go get me? And they yeah. will. But this, same with the audience. <laughs> is when you set it up, I mean, yes, the, uh, most uh, adults are used to hearing, oh, it's coming. Yeah. And then, so it's great where you look at the more advanced shows, the shows that both uh, 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 with great dialogue and great acting and where all of a sudden they take you to places. Um, I hate to say Game of Thrones. You know, the last episode where all of a sudden all the people that you know all the big actors they all die they're all dead and then you're like spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> sorry but then all of a sudden you're sitting there going seriously I didn't see that coming yep. so that's what's great about entertainment whether it's music or sound effects is, or even story is to take the audience on an unpredictable journey 
Well, hey, listen, we're going to have to wrap this up. And, man, we just scratched the surface of this whole sound design We thing. didn't even get I to mean, field recording. Right? I know. We're, you know the greatest for the audience? To, everyone should, should write in and, and, and listen. I mean, a good part of being a great sound designer is being an audio photographer. So what you should do is go around in your world, in your environment, and listen. And you should send us what you think the coolest sound that you heard this week is. Something, whether it's, you know, listen to people walk and you could tell their emotions where they got high heels and they're like, tick, 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 or you can hear, there's so many things, but everyone stops listening because it's too loud out there. That, that's not a bad idea. And you know, you know, along those lines, and I'll have to figure out how we can do this. But you know how they have those. Yeah, DP seven. We can give well, away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how they have those uh, um, photo uh, assignments on different blogs. Where okay, now I want you to take a picture of yellow, and okay, now I want you to take a picture of action. We should do something like that for audio. We should we should have some uh, some homework out there. That uh, Scott, we got to talk. I think everyone's got. Awesome. I've got an idea for that. Let me. Everyone's got the ability to do that because they've got their phone. Right. Today, today I was walking to lunch. Yeah. Hang on one sec. <laughs> oh yeah, subway. It was just the train, train. going by. Yeah. It's just walking by, and and I saw the train coming, and I whipped out my iPhone and turned on voice memos, and yeah, you know, I may not be able to use it for anything, but it was like, all right, here's a little audio scrapbook of you know a little moment in time there. We're going to figure out this because this is a good idea. This like is something the, we could do. The air conditioner that broke, that when it started, it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, this we come on, get started, get started. It's just cool stuff. Yeah, there's some really good stuff. Well, hey, listen, uh, we got to wrap it up, but we're, we're going to figure out how to do this because I think it'd be something kind of fun and let people out there, you know, send us their ideas and things like that. Um, but uh, before we go, man, there was so much I wanted to get to that we didn't even get to get to uh, talk about. Um, one thing I did want to talk about, you know what? I'm going to save it for next time, but I'm going to tease it. And, and uh, we got, I got a really negative letter. Really, really negative. It was our first one ever. And it was from a guy and, and uh, Nick, you know who you are. And he was complaining because uh, basically we didn't do a, enough stuff for the beginner. And I'm thinking that's all we do is stuff for people of all, you know, talents and ages and and but um apparently he wanted more like uh well what's the best software for uh somebody starting off and things like that i'm and, sure there's an episode about that oh, yeah, we, we did it. Just, no, i remember we did it well i know but but one thing i do want to say is one of the reasons why we don't talk about a lot of that stuff is because number one i don't know the best software for somebody starting off nowadays it's it everybody's journey is different okay my journey to where i'm at is not going to be the same as somebody starting off now scott's journey isn't going to be the same as somebody starting off now so you know we as a podcast we want to appeal to as many people as possible but we don't know i don't use those tools none of those guys use those tools but the great thing is is the price of the Pro Tools is not that expensive. You can get into a, a Pro Tool system for 200 bucks. It's going to be Pro Tools Express. You might as well use the tools that the pros use if you want to go down that. that well, you know what's great is you can go to Guitar Center, you can go to Best Buy, you can go to a lot of the different stores they have access to and learn all the beginning stuff. But what's all, difficult yeah. is how do you get beyond that? 
And right. it's something that, look, I, I think all everybody at this table, we're still learning. Yeah. I so don't know it all, and I'm trying to find out from a lot of the master people. Rob? Plus, we may not go into, like, specifically which tools you should use, but we have talked quite a bit about how to choose the tools because I remember yeah. talking about use what your community uses, use what the people you need to interchange use, use what the people who can help you use, you know, use what your friends use so that when you get stuck, you help, they help you or you can help them. There are ways to pick the tools, but to just tell someone, well, go use Fruity Loops because all of a sudden it's the new greatest thing right. for sequencing or whatever, that, that isn't really giving you good advice no matter what software we say. Even if we say Pro Tools, which is, you know, the thing that's sort of everywhere, um, you pick your tools based on some stuff that we definitely have gone into a lot of detail. About. Right. And the fact of the matter is he mentioned in this email um, – you know, audacity and things like that. And, and as far as, let me just tell you right off the bat, audacity is free and it's worth as much as you pay for it. You know, I mean, it's free and it's for some simple little editing that you want to do. It's great. There's some, I know some specific problems that you can have with audacity, especially when you export and things like that, it'll clip off some of the, um, ends of uh, some of your samples and some of your sound files. Uh, Cause I've had that happen at work with with other departments, and but all that to say is, you know, why spend the effort to get into that if you really want to do this? Spend the effort to get into the tools that you're going to be using when you get into the career you want to be into, whether it's sound design or music or recording or whatever. And that's where this podcast is going to stay, and that's where we're going to go. So, you know, the thing is, there are other podcasts that are absolutely. Out there. There's great. The podcasts. Home Recording Show is a yeah. really good podcast, and that's a great one for beginners. Go to there to learn about, you know, what plugins you can get for free and then listen to us when you want to hear people that make a living at this stuff. Yeah, between the podcast and YouTube, I mean, I wish I had YouTube growing up because yeah. there's so many things. This whole weekend I went, I wonder how to set this one piece of gear up inside it. And I went, all right, then we'll go to YouTube. And there it was. Three yeah. guys made a video about yeah. it. And I'm, thank you very much. Yeah. So we'll always have a, you know, there's always a soft spot in this podcast for anybody starting off. And we're... We're always going to, you know, be able to answer your questions. But are we ever going to solely focus in, on on the beginner and give an intro one hundred and one on, you know, this is how you, you know, edit a waveform? I, I don't think so. We'll never do that because we had a guitar show and that was <laughs> well, you know what? pretty I'll, miserable I'll, failure. I'll, I'll say this, you know, here, here's here's the reality of one thing about what we do with this music sound design is that. Where we are and throughout our careers, there's nobody that's been holding our hands and telling us how to do what we do and how to get to where we want. Right. So here's the thing is, if you need that much hand-holding early on in your career, you're not going to make it. Because part of what we do so true. is, you know, there's no book. Someone said, well, you've got to teach me. And I'm like, there's no classes. What you do is you interface, you look. I get stuff I hear great, you know. Andrew Sheps, yeah. he comes down and he talks. I'm like, wow, you know, I could apply that to sound design using, you know, parallel compressors. And all of a sudden, you take what everybody's done and, and you learn from each other. And and there is no easy way that you're going to automatically be be overnight. I spent a year at a school. Right. I'm now going to be great. Yep, absolutely. Especially as a musician. Go ahead. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say is I, I think most people I know that are sound designers have a background in music. And if you have a background in music and you spent any time trying to learn your acts or whatever it is that you're playing, 
you spent a lot of time alone teaching yourself. Of course, you had people that helped you out along the way when you have some questions or you have your lesson or whatever it is. But like Scott was saying, you know, you've got YouTube. There is so much information available online. But really, like because someone I know uh, a couple years ago was saying, oh, I want to take this. Full Sail, I think it's called, uh, so one, one of these uh, courses, they're going to teach me all about plugins. And I was like, oh, really? They're going to teach you all about plugins? That's going to be great. Um, do you think I should do that? I'm like, well, you can go ahead and do that, but they're not going to tell you how you are going to use plugins to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. That only comes with you spending a lot of time, like Scott yeah. said, alone and just eking it Learning out. Learning how to yeah. learn. Learning how to learn, exactly. exactly. All it's right. experience yeah. and problem solving. It's all <laughs> you guys just gave me a very funny mental image because the trick like with a musician a lot of it is solitary and you're learning your instrument you're learning your craft for yourself but you can also get together and jam with friends and that's one thing you won't see sound designers doing like you can <laughs> around the table like doing rise ups and explosions <laughs> no, and no actually no. <laughs> all right well, hey, uh, on that note um don't hate us nick that's all i'm going to say <laughs> some other nick Oh, yeah, it's not you. Yes, yes, it's not our our good name. Yeah, that would be awkward. Yeah, I'm not going to say the last name, but that's all I'm going to say. Because he looks really angry across the room. Hulk smash. All right, well, hey, really quick, because we've gone really long. Um, uh, Brandon, you working on anything you can talk about? Quick. Uh, No. Okay, that's good. That means he's working on some huge things that he cannot talk about. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Um, I just wrapped the review of the Radar 6 for Electronic Musician <gasps> Magazine, and wow. it is a very nice piece of kit. So uh, it's a 24-track, really, really high-quality hard disk recorder. It's still around. Um, they're still around, and it's better wow. than ever, and smaller and cheaper and still incredibly expensive and incredibly wow. awesome. That's, they made the watch version. Good. It's great. Yeah. Good for them for at least yeah. still being here. People, you know? people love that stuff. And, well, you know, for live remote it. recording and stuff like that. For recording music. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pro Tools, I, I use Pro Tools all day long, and I'm tired of Pro Tools, and it's really nice to go home and work on music and record it on a radar. It's just a completely different way of doing things. Wow. So. Scott, how about you? Hello. So, uh, good real, news is. Real quick. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, we're number one in the theater right now. That's uh, right. With, with the, Golf we have Riddick. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah you. we're going to, next time we sound designers get together, by the way, uh, everybody go see Riddick because we're going to talk about that because our good friend Scott is the, uh, did Riddick. Yeah, so we're, 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 we're good in the theaters. We're very happy and uh, the audience seems to be lucky. We had a great uh, opening uh, three to four days and uh, couldn't be more excited. Awesome. And uh, I know you're working on a lot of stuff that you couldn't even talk about. So nice. Uh, Rob, what are you working on? Anything fun and exciting? Uh, Yeah, a few things. Uh, Probably the most recent thing is I just uh, delivered music today for a bunch of different uh, promos and trailers for a movie called Don John with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And the trail, I think this stuff is supposed to start airing tomorrow. So by the time this podcast posts, it'll already have been out for a while. But it's fun to be doing uh, promo and trailer stuff again. Still working with my uh, rock band in Austin that I've been working with for a while. And nice. uh, my e-commerce site's going strong. All kinds of details uh, that I'll fill in later. But, yeah, everything's everything's good. Great. And, Brett, you're uh... – I'm still on Marvel Heroes MMO. It's really fantastic. The game is really shaping up, I think. Uh, and it's a lot of fun to work on. But, yeah, I'm still on the same project. And it sounds really good. This- Stuff sounds really good. So. And Mike? Um, 
Can't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not possible. Can't talk about that. NDA and that. Can't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I did a couple of TV promos, but, you know, those things have a life expectancy of, like, four days, and then they're gone, you know. That's a whole other conversation, right? All that emotion, all that sweat, and they come, they air, and then you never – I mean, it just – you know, promos, they don't age. You never see promos again. They air one time and then they're gone. So it's so much is at stake. I know. It's crazy. It's, I mean, there's so much emotion. So, oh, believe me. Well, hey, listen, um, I want to just let you guys know if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And uh, I see you guys are, are responding to our Facebook because we're getting like new likes all the time. We're like 364, I think. And we got like 11 likes in one day. It was it was amazing. You I know how hard it is? I'm just hitting like all the time, you know? I, I, no, it's just, you know, I don't know what it does for us other than like, hey, we're a couple more people, <laughs> you know? People like, like us. I, we're up to three people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's cool and uh you know uh just feel free to send us any kind of comments or questions um like i said um, um unless you're nick you've been banned but uh, <laughs> the other nick the other nick not nick peck but the other nick um but uh yeah feel free to send us any kind of comments or questions i do want to tease the next show that we're going to be doing um we're going to be actually doing a a really good podcast and i'm lining up the guests but it's all about the music industry in crisis, and that's what I'm calling it. So it'll be really interesting because it, it, it is, man. Things are changing. The whole landscape's changing. Um, you've got records, uh, companies that artists you know swore they'd never be a part of, and now they're going back to the record companies, and you've got streaming, and people aren't making any money. And I myself, I, I don't think I've spent maybe, you know, maybe 40 bucks this year on music because of Spotify. And I used to spend that, you know, in two weeks. So we're going to be talking about that, you know, with Bobby O and revisiting that. Cause it's, it's getting to be a, a crisis point. And there's some things that are happening that I'll bring up next time, but uh, just watch out for the next podcast. Cause it's going to be really good and depressing at the same time. <laughs> Isn't like the VMA awards. Aren't there only 20 artists in the universe? <laughs> it seems like that. Well, hey, anyhow, I want to thank uh, Jeremy for being back. You know, the podcast was flawless, no technical problems. So thank you, Jeremy. And um, I want to thank well, you. It hasn't been aired yet. It hasn't been posted yet. That's not- <laughs> <laughs> but hey, listen, I want to thank you guys for your continued support out there. And we will see you next time. to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.